You're listening to ReachMD. Uncover the truth about Alzheimer's in this special series, Alzheimer's Disease Towards Earlier Detection. Understandings of the origins and mechanisms of disease process for Alzheimer's are evolving constantly, opening doors to improve targets for therapeutic research. But at a time when disease-modifying therapies for late-stage disease aren't yet available, the need for early detection of Alzheimer's becomes critically important. This is ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Joining me on this episode of Alzheimer's Disease Towards Earlier Detection is Dr. Carol Lippa. Dr. Lippa is Professor of Neurology and Director of the Memory Disorders Program at Drexel University College of Medicine. She's also a member of the Alzheimer's Association Board of Directors and Chair of the Delaware Valley Chapter's Medical and Scientific Committee. Dr. Lippa, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me today. So, Dr. Lippa, a way of describing Alzheimer's now in clinical practice is often as a hidden disease. What does that term mean to you when we describe Alzheimer's? Well, there are several meanings to it, really. One is that we now know that the pathology of Alzheimer's begins in the brain probably a decade, maybe even more, before the patient has any symptoms at all, so that things are kind of building up and building up over time, and it's quite a ways down the road before the person is symptomatic. And yet it's not simply the clinical manifestations. There are social ramifications to the idea of being a hidden disease. What can you tell me about that? Sure. Well, there are a few things. One, there isn't that much awareness that Alzheimer's is something you just have to put up with. We have symptomatic treatments for it now, and there are a lot of things you can do if you focus on the behavioral symptoms. A lot of times you can do a lot for a patient with Alzheimer's. But people still sort of keep the person in the house. They don't go out and seek help. So I think now we're just starting to get awareness that you don't have to have the person stay hidden. They can come out, get things addressed, try to maximize the memory they have, and do a lot of things about the trouble they have sleeping, the appetite, their wandering, their behavior, maybe depression, anxiety, or belligerent behavior, those kinds of things. There's a lot we can do. The other thing is really the stigma, too, is that people don't want to bring it up. A lot of patients kind of withdraw into their homes, which is the last thing you want to do when you have Alzheimer's, because they're afraid someone will know or someone will notice, and and they really keep to themselves a lot more. But that's another way that it's, it's sort of a hidden disease, and it's counterproductive to the things that people can do to maximize their memory over time. So clearly a multi-layered term when we yes, say that. Yes, yes, <laughs> So earlier I had mentioned, uh, made a, a thematic focus, the idea of the importance, the value of earlier detection. Mm-hmm. But there's a common sentiment out there among uh, many mm-hmm. people, many patients, right. and even some providers, cl- mm-hmm. some clinicians, that earlier detection doesn't have much value or meaning, that there's nothing that can be done. How do you respond to that when you encounter that in your practice? Well, you can't make the disease go away once it's established. But, you know, you can't make hypertension, diabetes, or a lot of other things go away once you have them. You just manage them and control them. Now, with Alzheimer's, we have symptomatic treatment so that there are pills that you can take that will stabilize memory for a little while and may improve it a little bit, even though we can't make the process go away. So it's important in making a diagnosis if you want to do what you can do to to help the problem. We used to see everyone came in and they were mild, moderate, or severe Alzheimer's. And and now, at least a third of the new patients we see don't even fully meet criteria for dementia. They're just, you know, starting somewhere down the slippery slope. So 
I like to see them early because anything we find, whether it's Alzheimer's pathology underlying the symptoms, a mimicker, another sort of a cousin degenerative disease, or some kind of a, a medical problem mimicking it, any of those are more treatable the earlier we see them. Let's talk about that for a second. The mimicker diseases, mm -hmm. the medical diseases that manifest similarly mm -hmm. to Alzheimer's. What signs and symptoms do you look out for in your practice that really have helped you to hone in on Alzheimer's compared to other mimicker diseases? Alzheimer's, the first part of the thinking circuits that get frayed are the links between, I need to remember this, in the actual apparatus in the brain that encodes it. So you remember where you went to school when you were a teenager, you know, who you married, what you served at your wedding, all these things from oh, the, the last past. Part, maybe not, I'm not sure. But. But, oh, no, I, I, I won't be too specific there. But you can't remember, you know, a really simple, like what you had for lunch, or even if you had lunch. And if there's something important, you have to remember, it affects the link, like I have to remember this, with just the really easy ability to remember it. And that's very specific for Alzheimer's. That's a specific path in the brain. And and those cells in the circuit are gone first. So I look for an Alzheimer's patient insidious onset when you think about it because it doesn't start just like that. It's sort of progressive loss of the cells, slowly progressive, not that they can't have a good day or a bad day, but things seem to be getting worse over time. And problems with encoding that new information. A lot of the medical problems will be associated with fatigue, They'll be associated with inattention, where they can get anything into their memory, they just lose the track. They won't forget to do something like the Alzheimer patient. They'll either not want to do it or they'll mess it up. It's just organizational, that kind of thing. So we look for what we call that amnestic pattern. If we give them three words, ball, flag, tree, and you tell them to repeat them and you tell them you're going to ask them that in a few minutes, they may get everything else correct, all the other mental quizzes or questions you ask them, but when you ask them about the three words, they'll be like, three words? <laughs> you know, they just won't, you know, because it's that encoding. And that's a pretty specific pattern. So you look at the pattern of cognitive losses. You look at the exam, you know, the reflexes, are they normal? Are they symmetric? Is the strength normal, symmetric? Just the history, did it start quickly? Does it get worse and better? Do they have any signs of organ failure? And then you get you know, blood work and things like that to check. The idea of the algorithm, the way of thinking through mm -hmm. assessing somebody based on their history when they come in, how they're presenting, and how you sort of refine your differential. Mm -hmm. A number of our audience members who are generalists mm -hmm. have this basic idea in mind, mm -hmm. but they might not be as exposed to some of the unusual presentations that come in. We had a chance to speak mm -hmm. to some neurologists, one of whom talked about an unusual case of a visual organization mm -hmm. defect involving trying to organize things on a page and realizing it couldn't do it, almost like a visual field loss. Sure. <laughs> Have you seen any other unusual presentations that, from your vantage point as a neurologist, mm -hmm. don't normally speak of to Alzheimer's, but actually turn out to be? Well, sometimes, most often, those types of patients have these cousin conditions, the different types of conditions. But occasionally, someone will have what we call a posterior variant, the sense of direction, organization, and space kind of presentation. They can have more of a frontal presentation. Occasionally, someone will present what we call progressive aphasia, where people can't 
tag word. They know what they want to say, but they lose the fluency, their normal prosody, their sentence length. Everything gets truncated to need water rather than, gee, I'm thirsty. Can we get a drink of something? You know, they, it really gets crunched down. And again, a lot of times that's a mimicker condition, but once in a while there's Alzheimer's pathology there. So it can present in different ways depending on what parts of the brain are involved. Every single gyrus, every single circuit, every convolution in the brain has a different function. It's so, that's why it's so interesting. A dermatologist, you get a chunk of skin and you get a biopsy, you get a scratch and it all grows in and it's all the same and every cell does this. Every liver cell does basically the same thing, right? You can lose a chunk, you can get a chunk, chunk of lung, well, it breathes, you know. But neurons think and everyone, depending on their connections, everyone has a little different role. And if your Alzheimer's pathology, if you have a biological weak point, say in the, the visual spatial, visual organizational area, like the case you're discussing, that's your weak spot and your Alzheimer's pathology is hitting. It's possible that you could get that as a manifestation of the disease. So given a, a strong part of the pathology appears to be this amyloid and a beta right. and tau deposition, depending on where that is, the right. symptoms or right. the, the, the right. signs, right. What, the pre- what the presentation will be, could be very different. Right. The amyloid is the component that occurs in the brain at like a decade before there are any symptoms, or maybe longer. There are a lot of aged, normal people who die of heart attacks or other things, and they never get any symptoms. They have amyloid all over their brain, and that's there for a long time before you get the tau. So we know amyloid or most people believe that amyloid is the trigger for the process. Mutations in the gene that codes for the precursor to amyloid cause Alzheimer's. Mutations in the tau gene don't. So Alzheimer's is what brings on the disease. That's what starts it up, and it takes a decade before you get the tau in the neurofibrillary tangle. But the tangles are actually what correlates with the severity of the disease more. So... The tangles, your area with tangles, your regional susceptibility to tangles, may reflect the symptoms you show. I also understand that there's budding research that's linking Alzheimer's to a number of other potential pathophysiological connections, uh, diabetes, infectious disease, autoimmune. Oh, yes. It seems broad. There's a lot. There are a lot of potential. Well, I think there may be many roads to Alzheimer's. There are certainly genetic forms. You know, there are certain people that if they live to age of onset, they will get the disease, period. You know, fully penetrant, autosomal dominant, you know, so that's genetic. But there are people that have nothing genetic that we can identify, and none of the relatives have anything. And, and in those people, some of it is lifestyles, your cognitive reserve, how smart you are, the packing density of your thoughts, how much you stay engaged in your environment, kind of keeping your brain exercised, if you will. And then there are your medical conditions. Diabetes is terrible for Alzheimer's. And the jury is a little bit out, but there are different lines of evidence that it can impact the blood-brain barrier and it can predispose you to developing like the amyloid and so forth. Vascular risk factors, again, it, it ruins the vessels, bringing blood and nutrients and everything into your brain. And there's a lot of overlap between vascular, cerebrovascular disease and dementia. So I think that in different people, there are probably different environmental triggers that are more involved depending on your particular makeup and your lifestyle, what you do. Well, with that, I very much want to thank my guest, Dr. Carol Lippa, for joining me today. 
We've been talking about the drive toward earlier detection for Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Liba, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. For access to this and other episodes of Alzheimer's disease towards earlier detection, and to download the ReachMD app, visit us at ReachMD.com. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, reminding you, as always, to be part of the knowledge. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to ReachMD. Uncover the truth about Alzheimer's in this special series, Alzheimer's Disease, Towards Earlier Detection. To revisit any part of this discussion and to access other episodes, visit ReachMD.com slash Time Hides Alzheimer's. Thank you for listening.